Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Secretary of Child and Youth Protection's United States Conference of Catholic Bishops podcast. I have the pleasure to be with me, uh, Most Reverend William E. Lorry, the Archbishop of Baltimore. Archbishop Lorry, welcome, and thank you for being here. Nice to be with you, Deacon. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Uh, Archbishop, let's just begin really quickly uh, as a way of introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you been in Baltimore? What your mm -hmm. background is? Sure. So I was ordained a priest for the Archdiocese of Washington back in 1977 and served in different capacities, eventually becoming auxiliary bishop uh, here in the Archdiocese of Washington. And then for 11 years, I was in Bridgeport, Connecticut, it's basically Fairfield County, right by New York. And I was there 11 years, and for the last seven years, I can hardly believe it, I'm uh, in Baltimore. And uh, um, I've really loved wherever I've been. Up and down the East Coast. I've been, I've been around. Coast yes. I've been so, around. So the Archdiocese of Baltimore, the primary see, no? We really call it the premier see. In, in the United States, we don't have a primatial see as you might in Europe, but we are the first um, archdiocese in the country. Uh, we were founded in 1789. We used to go from uh, up to Canada, down to Florida, and out to the Mississippi wow. River. And uh, of course, uh, gradually, uh, new dioceses and archdioceses were were formed. Wow. So for those of you folks who uh, participate in any of these trivia games, that's a good question, good answer to know. The uh, Baltimore stretched well, it's all really, the way out. Yes. Yeah, and it's really a beautiful heritage. I, I've, one of the things I love about being in Baltimore is, in fact, uh, that heritage. Mm -hmm. And uh, our first bishop was John Carroll, mm -hmm. cousin of Charles Carroll corresponded with George Washington, mm -hmm. and really charted a very careful course for the church in the New Republic. He was a, a wise and canny leader, and there's many great leaders in the past I feel like we're standing on their shoulders. Speaking of course, courses of history or how things are moving, uh, we had the scandal of the church that broke out in 2002. We had the charter that came out, the essential norms, and then just recently this past summer mm -hmm. with the uh, revelations of Theodore McCarrick and, and then the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report. Um, what, what's different now compared to 2002 to where we are today? Mm -hmm. uh, what, what has the church done? How is, how is the Archdiocese of Baltimore different? What have you seen? Um, I think things have been changing a lot even before 2002. I've been around a long time. Uh, I think the conference began to deal with this pretty seriously in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. um, I think we did trial and error, but I think we proposed good policies in the 90s, uh, but they were not mandated. I think that uh, the enactment of the Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People and the Essential Norms, which made this mandatory for every diocese, was a landmark event. I think that really charted a course for culture change. 
for creating a culture in which the sexual abuse of minors, young people, uh, would not be tolerated, where there would be really serious efforts in every diocese to prevent it, that it would be reported, and that it would be uh, dealt with in the open, because when you deal with it in the open, uh, a lot less people get hurt. Yeah, I've had folks make comments the charter not working, but I would tell them that to the contrary, that it was because of the charter that the situation with Theodore McCarrick, that things actually came to the surface. Mm -hmm. That was the charter at work. So the charter has worked. If you look at our, the numbers nationally, year over year, there might be five or six or seven new cases of current sexual abuse of a minor. That's five or six too many. Correct. But for a church as large as we are, um, it, it is not so bad. When um, I look at the Archdiocese of Baltimore, we have not had an accusation of current sexual abuse against a diocesan priest for 25 years. Wow. So it has worked at some level, but it's not enough because it did not include um, explicitly bishops. Now, I was around at the time. In fact, I was on the drafting committee. Mm -hmm. uh, we did not think that we had the authority to legislate for ourselves, and that's why we're not in it. And we assumed that if any one of us abused a child, that the Holy See would deal with us pretty swiftly. And, 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 and that was an assumption that was not very sound. Mm -hmm. History showed that we needed a mechanism uh, by which we are held accountable uh, for any misdeeds that we do against a young person, God forbid, uh, or for um, negligence in handling claims of sexual abuse. So in many ways now the church is in, in, in in the words of the Charter, open and transparent. We're trying to be as honest and forthright. We're looking forward and uh, continually developing our policies and our procedures. We have individuals of competence who are able to do outreach and to provide ministry to survivors. What more can be done? You mentioned mm -hmm. times are changing. We talked about including bishops, but we also have adult-to-adult -adult type situation, harassment. Mm -hmm. We have uh, differential of powers. Sure. So there's a number of things I think can be done. Number one, uh, we, we, we might say, well, the charter and the norms, they're working fine. And then a certain complacency can set in. I don't think there's even an iota of room for complacency. Um, and so uh, holding ourselves to ever higher standards this is also something that uh, is growing and developing as we learn from experience mm -hmm. uh, how we can uh, live out the charter and the norms more effectively, how review boards can do their jobs better, how our annual audit can sort of penetrate more deeply mm -hmm. to help a bishop understand whether or not the charter and the norms are really being lived out and fulfilled uh, in his diocese. So I think that's something. The other thing you see going on these days, of course, is file reviews. Mm -hmm. um, we, 
in Baltimore, I'm very blessed, Cardinal Keeler uh, did that 17 years ago wow. and put out the, it was the second diocese in the United States to put out all the names as far as we knew. We didn't do deceased priests, but we did everybody that mm -hmm. we knew. Mm -hmm. And we have continued that through the years. Mm -hmm. Of, ha of assembling in the diocese a competent team, people that know what they're doing, and going through the files, seeing what we missed, reading them with fresh eyes, because as you learn to identify the signs of abuse, you can read the same file over and see it differently than you did before. We've continually updated our a list of credibly accused priests. And I think, um, I think file reviews are, are, are important and I, you see this going on all around the country. It's a very important thing to do. So those are some of the things. I do think that uh, as, uh, also um, as time has gone by, um, our review board deals a lot more with, with boundary issues, and boundary issues roughly translate into what our culture calls sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. And that has to be dealt with. It's, it's different from child sexual abuse, but it is unwanted, it is destructive, and it oughtn't be tolerated sure. anywhere, but particularly in a church. In a church. So, well, Archbishop, what would, you, what would you say the role of the layperson in, in helping to, the church bring about this change of culture? Mm -hmm. Tremendous. Tremendous role that the laity has played. In fact, I would say that most of this is lay-driven. In many ways, if you pay attention to the charter and the norms, and no one does more than yourself, <laughs> Deacon, um, it calls upon the bishop, and we have committed ourselves to lay collaboration. And so in most dioceses, our Office of Child and Youth Protection is staffed by competent lay people mm -hmm. who have the appropriate background. Our lay review boards, I call them lay review boards, independent review boards, uh, we are privileged to have people serving on these boards uh, who have a background in the law. Some are retired judges, some are um, lawyers uh, who have experience with criminal law, people with behavioral um, sciences, knowledge and expertise, uh, medical field, family law, people who work in child abuse in secular organizations. Mm -hmm. So you can really get together a good group of people mm -hmm. and they can lay their eyes on anything and everything you're doing. So when we get an uh, allegation, we report it immediately. If the police do their investigation first, then, then we ours. Uh, we, of course, um, uh, deal with the places where the abuse has happened, the parishes or schools. But after we've done everything, we show it to the review board. Sure. And they cast a very helpful critical eye on it. Sure. Most of this, the internal investigation, the review board, it's mostly lay driven. And I think that's healthy and good. 
and this resource is available for you, uh, these lay folks, these skill sets, this, this level of expertise. Mm -hmm. How often do you review your policies, your procedures? Oh, we do them often. I can think of two or three times since I've been Archbishop in the last seven years, including just recently. And, mm -hmm. and our review board meets uh, quite frequently, sometimes as much as once a month, but at least once per quarter. So, so you have a relationship with this review board in mm -hmm. terms of knowing who they are and the work that they can do. You trust their judgment mm -hmm. uh, in terms of what recommendations they would move forward to you. You would take that and, and, mm -hmm. and know that a, a lot of good work was put into this, mm -hmm. a, a level of expertise and knowledge was put into this. I think for the most part, the folks that I've been meeting, lay folks, they mm -hmm. want to help the church. They do. You know, they love the church. They, they, they want to see the church succeed. Yeah. What would you tell folks that are currently leaving the church saying, this is awful, this is, you know, how can a church be, the, be like this? What would you say to folks sure. that are dealing with this right now? First of all, I think we have to listen to their experience. So it's not that you come with a pre-cooked answer. Um, I think that um, as people see this in the news, as they hear, read about the grand jury reports that are coming out, um, as they learn more about the extent of abuse in the life of the church, understandably, mm -hmm. they are dismayed. Understandably, they are shocked and scandalized. That's what scandal does. It kind of loosens up your faith, gives you reasons not to believe. So I think, first of all, having someone who listens and takes their objections quite seriously. And secondly, being honest enough to admit where we went off the rails, where we dropped the ball. And that might be that we, that we dropped the ball 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Um, but we have to take ownership for that. It might be that, um, that a diocese or a given bishop hasn't been open and, and, and forthright about this. You have to take ownership of that. Mm -hmm. And so I think a certain humility is necessary, listening and humility. A third thing, though, that just fell out of me one day when I was, in fact, talking to someone was I understand the church seems kind of hard to love right now. I said, but there is one thing I will believe until my dying day and beyond, and that's that Jesus loves his church. And when Jesus founded his church, having been betrayed by Judas, he had only, he had only 12, and one of them betrayed him, actually two of them betrayed him, and the rest fled. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He had personnel problems, I think you could say. <laughs> he loved the church. He gave his life for the church. He purified the church. And, and, and I have to believe that, and I do believe that. And the reason the church has been rejuvenated, renewed, has raised up great saints, has proclaimed the gospel to the end of the earth, is not my personal holiness or my goodness or my wisdom. It's the fact that Jesus loves the church. And my job as a minister of the gospel is somewhere get in the way of that and let it shine 
through me, sinful and fallible as I am. So if Jesus loves the church, who am I not to love the church, no matter what's gone wrong? And a lot has. Mm. A lot has. So Archbishop Laurie, as, as a leader of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, I, I couldn't help but stop. We've been talking about a, a lot of letter C's, the letter C. We were talking about culture, mm -hmm. change of culture, which would be a conversion, if you will, for some of us. Mm -hmm. um, we were talking about competencies, mm -hmm. uh, folks that are in your, uh, in your offices, uh, out at your parishes, who are trying to help with this situation. Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about courage. Mm -hmm. It takes courage to stand up and to do this uh, and to fight. This is evil. Mm -hmm. This is a fight against evil. It, is. Um, it takes consistency. Mm -hmm. You have that with your policies and your procedures and the fact that you have these meetings that take place on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, you have that. And, and, and the word compassion. Mm -hmm. you know, we can never forget the, the, the unconditional love, as you mentioned, that God has for us, that Jesus mm -hmm. has for us. Um, if there are any survivors that are listening out there, any messages for, for, for any of them? Sure. I think, number one, um, I think that we cannot pretend that we grasp with any real depth the wound that has been inflicted upon them. And it is only by listening, by being with those who are victim survivors that we begin to get an inkling. Number two, it sounds pro forma, but it is not how sorry I am. I've sat with a lot of victim survivors over the years, listened to their stories, wept with some of them. Um, when I began doing this years ago, I had no idea what this really was. I think that, that it's understandable that, that the level of trust has to be built up in some cases from not just zero, but the minus figures. But I would hope and pray that there could be some degree of trust, some degree of accompaniment, some relationship that might have in it the seeds of reconciliation mm -hmm. and the seeds of restoration. Mm -hmm. would hope for that. But I recognize it's a long process, and it has to be done not on my timetable, but on their timetable mm -hmm. and God's. Mm -hmm. So we've been listening to Most Reverend William Laurie. He's the Archbishop of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, uh, one of the many champions of uh, protecting and healing. Um, the journey that uh, currently the church in Baltimore and the ch church nationwide, the church international, is moving towards this path of healing, reconciliation, and peace, uh, this path towards holiness and healthiness. Mm -hmm. um, Archbishop, thank you for taking time uh, to record this podcast. May I kindly ask uh, if you would close with a, a prayer, please? Sure. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, whose death on the cross and resurrection are stronger than sin, all of our sins, stronger than death itself. Thank you, O Father, for the love with which your Son loves his people. We ask you in the Holy Spirit to open our hearts ever more widely 
to that healing, reconciling love. Help us as a church community, clergy, laity, religious, to unite, to be a real partnership in keeping young people safe, in reaching out to those who have been harmed, and in doing what is right, what is just, and what is good, openly and, transparent, and transparently. We ask you, O Father, to look upon us with love, particularly in these days when we prepare to celebrate Holy Week, the sacred mysteries of our salvation. Grant this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. My name is Deacon Bernie Nohadera, and on behalf of the Secretary of Child and Youth Protection with the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, we thank you for listening. And until next time, God bless you. Take care. Mm -hmm.